Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning, all. Welcome to PIs Declassified. Welcome to the show. Uh, this is our 12th year of broadcasting, and it'll be 12 years in June. And I'm happy to be here and happy to be hosting this show again. Today, my guest is Rob Freed. He's an expert on digital forensics. Welcome to the show, Rob. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. So you're hailing from Long Island, New York. Long yes. way away from California, um, and uh, your specialty is digital forensics. So, um, how does a person get from being just a regular person to being an expert in something like digital forensics? Well, in my situation, it was a bit interesting. I had uh, been in a forensic science program uh, at the University of New Haven. And at that point, uh, one of our um, uh, main leaders for the uh, the uh, school I was in, uh, Dean Tom Johnson, had started a, uh, a computer forensics uh, curriculum. And at that point, it was really something that was piquing my interest. I had worked for a uh, computer company at the time. Uh, selling computers, and you know, was always interested in computers, the forensic science aspect of it, the the DNA, the fingerprints. That that was all very exciting to me. But I always loved technology. So having this opportunity to start seeing some great courses come out, and you know, go in that direction of merging both the uh, law and and the science together, um, in addition to the technology was something that I, I took a hold of right away, and, and I started taking those courses in forensics. And uh, really, I saw it was before its its time. There was, at that point in the uh, late 90s, things were still developing a lot. There were a number of individuals who were trying to set uh, the standards, and uh, I was meeting them through a lot of the the coursework that I uh, was taking because of the uh, amazing connections that the university had at that point. And, um, you know, it, it became something that piqued my interest um, beyond the, the human forensics part of it. And uh, here I am today, you know, uh, 20 years later, still very invested in the field, uh, doing a lot of other things uh, beyond my my day job to educate and uh, try to make opportunities available for the next generation of forensic scientists and digital forensic practitioners that are uh, coming uh, coming on board. You know, what I'm hearing from, from you is that you followed your heart. You followed your dream. You, you targeted something you really wanted to do and, regard, and regardless of any obstacles, you just did it. Yeah, there was a lot of sacrifice involved. Um, you know, some people, uh, they go away to school. Um, you know, my school was not too far away from 
where I, I grew up on Long Island. Uh, I was in uh, the New Haven area. Uh, so it was a really nice uh, commute home if I ever wanted to go see family. And then uh, right when I started grad school, uh, 9-11 uh, unfortunately, took place shortly after, and I was in a graduate program uh, also in forensic science um, in California. And uh, to be away from family, um, you know, and to study in a very intense uh, master's program uh, was was something that I was fully devoted to. I, I engulfed myself in that program's uh, curriculum, and then upon graduation. Um, I moved uh, from California back to home for a little bit, and then I moved to West Virginia and actually became a computer crime specialist with the National White Collar Crime Center, where I got to travel across the United States and train almost a 1,000 police officers during that time period on areas of computer crime, you know, technology and how it's being used, and training law enforcement from all different types of agencies, local, state, and federal, with all different skill sets. So it was really a phenomenal opportunity. My colleagues were former law enforcement who are now teachers, uh, former military, and really some of the uh, trailblazers of their time uh, working very closely with the government uh, entities like the uh, uh, NIJ, to de- uh, develop standards and uh, subcommittees for digital evidence that were just kind of coming on board at that point. And uh, it was just a really, it was all about timing and uh, the right people uh, mentoring me and being able to do that sacrifice like you discussed. And uh, here I am today. Well, just from looking at your biographical information, Rob, you crammed a lot into the last 20 years. <laughs> I mean, uh, so you, you got your, your bachelor's, you got your master's in forensic science, you got all these certificates, you did the training, you did additional, uh, inf- you know, additional uh, training as well. I mean, I, I'm really uh, inspired by your, by your journey. It's super. Thank you. And, you know, one of the things that I was afforded during my education, I, and I also speak to it pretty frequently, is I went to a university that had a lot of practitioners and residents. And that was very advantageous because, you know, when you teach the forensic science uh, courses and, and uh, all the, the different topics that come along with it, you know, it's very difficult to have that all show up in a textbook and interpret it. Um, these individuals were directors at labs. They were, you know, people out in the field doing crime scenes um, when they weren't teaching. There were people involved in, in the sciences pretty heavily. And we were getting their, their war stories, so to speak, and they brought that into the classroom. In fact, I just recently reconnected pretty, um, uh, pretty much with the university uh, to host a symposium, which we can talk about, but... One of those people that I was involved in, in planning of the symposium was a professor of mine over 20 years ago. And this individual, you know, is, is still involved in the field. Obviously, I'm involved in the field. And there's just a, such a level of respect that I have for these individuals that not only taught for so many years and contributed to the science and, and to the next generation, 
but are still very much involved because we live and breathe this stuff, and, and it's, it's really a duty and obligation for those of us who have been around long enough to give back to the next generation and to help them become successful, because the worst thing that can happen to somebody is having that first encounter with evidence and really freezing and not knowing what to do. And, and I do a lot of that um, preparation with interns and others that I uh, work with pretty regularly now. I actually have three interns from the University of New Haven uh, that are listening in and uh, understanding uh, the work that's involved in getting that real-life experience beyond the classroom uh, that I know that they're getting because they're still part of that program but I'm even taking that a step further to say, here are active cases that are coming into our firm. I want you to understand really what the client needs and how we need to proceed. That's just super cool, Rob. And I know the, uh, the expert that you're talking about is Dr. Henry Lee. And you just published just recently a book. You know, let's talk about that while we're on that subject. Yeah, it was uh, very interesting. One of my uh, former teachers from a long time ago, um, uh, when I was was uh, not even in college yet, was a visionary, and uh, her, her name's uh, Janet Nickel, and and she, before I even knew what forensic science was, introduced it at, at that time in in uh, 1995, which was pretty amazing. Um, you know, I, I think uh, uh, I think her husband was a, a, a police officer, and she was very interested. And she was teaching science, and it turns out that she had put this—I don't know if it was so much an experimental program together at the time, but here I am taking forensic science um, right around the O.J. Simpson case. I got very interested in the science. Um, you know, here I am learning about uh, fingerprints and luminol and crime scenes and, and Locardian's exchange and uh, Bertillion's measurements of, of uh, body parts to identify people. I mean, just things that at, at a high school uh, age I was exposed to. Um, so when I took all that into consideration and, and looking forward to a career, I initially wanted to go into some science, like maybe radiology. And then I said, you know, this, this forensic science that I, I took was, was uh, very interesting. So I went to John Jay, took a summer class there, um, and then wound up going to University of New Haven. And at that time, uh, Dr. Lee, you know, uh, developed the, the uh, forensic science program uh, a while back at that point, and, and he was one of our, our um, instructors for the crime scene uh, case, uh, crime scene courses, and also some other courses that I had taken. And so even at that point, I always had an interest in technology and computers, and we were always saying, you know, I'm, I'm interested in technology, Dr. Lee, and, and he obviously is very well uh, world-renowned with, with DNA and, and all the other cases that he's been involved in. And so that was 20 years ago. Um, uh, long story short, uh, Ms. Nickel had graduated, I mean, not graduated, had retired recently, and I reached out to Dr. Lee and said, this is one of my former teachers, a uh, phenomenal educator. I would love to honor her by having you just uh, write a, a message 
uh, to her, and he had done that for me, and I was so touched that he took the time to do that. And uh, then we started to chat on the side, and I said, you know, I'm a um, uh, person that writes for PI Magazine. I have a cyber sleuthing column each issue, and I would love to do a collaborative article with you on uh, digital forensics and how we can apply it towards you know, the, the forensics that we all know, the fundamental concepts. And we did that article together. And then uh, I told him I was also writing a book on digital forensics for a while now with the start of the pandemic. I, I found that to be a, an enjoyable thing to do. I have two toddlers and uh, obviously uh, happily married, and but I love to write. And so uh, we did the article together. He, you know, I, I asked him if he would be interested in participating in the book, and he wrote a terrific forward for me. And uh, the book was recently released. It's called uh, Forensic Data Collections 2.0, The Guide for Defensible and Efficient Processes. And it's available on Amazon and, and my website, um, forensicsbook.com. And it's really... Um, the last 20 years of my background in forensics and specifically digital forensics, helping clients and corporations and law firms uh, just deal with the amount of data and the, the different types of data sources that we're encountering on an everyday basis. Just uh, really amazing, and congratulations for being able to engage Dr. Lee, I, you know, um, Everybody looks at, at him as kind of the father of this forensics um, platform. And uh, it's just great that you were able to um, really connect with him and and uh, reestablish that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll take it one step further, Francie. It's, uh, it's something that in celebration of doing a, a collaborative article with him, you know, 20 years after being in the field, I went to him and I said, you know, how can we work more? I want to give back to the university and uh, give back to all the great work that you're doing. And uh, what we did was, between him and I, we co-sponsored a symposium that took place on February 28th. And, um, you know, it's in an area of digital forensics where historically Dr. Lee is involved in a lot of the DNA and, and the, the uh, trace evidence and other types of evidence categories that come up. And uh, we worked together uh, with uh, members of his uh, Henry Lee Institute team um, in Connecticut there. And uh, we came up with a phenomenal uh, program. A lot of my contacts over the years uh, were very interested in doing uh, this symposium. We put on a full-day event. We had people talk about um, deep fakes, mobile forensics, uh, we also spoke about um, uh, email investigations, uh, and then we also had a panel about how to leverage a lot of the forensic tools that are now available to look at multiple data sources, to look at some of the ways that data can be uh, connected together and how it could be used for large-scale investigations and just to associate data together. So, how, Rob, how does a symposium differ from a conference? Symposium um, is just bringing experts from the field and talking about cutting-edge topics. So it's based on their research, their experience, and 
picking topics that are are common for the industry and putting it together and um, you know just having a, an, an agenda per se, but it's working directly with the institute. Um, and we did it all remote. So it was all things where the whole day was coordinated with people from uh, all over the U.S., from uh, Israel. Um, we had people from all over, and, and it was uh, very successful. Uh, but it was really specialized in digital forensics, and it was the first of what we're going to do um, over the course of the next four more years uh, because I personally committed uh, to financially sponsoring four more years. We had our inaugural one uh, most uh, recently now, and we're going to be doing this each year uh, to highlight important topics in digital forensics. You know, what's really exciting to me in listening to you, Rob, is that you're paying it forward. You're taking what you learned and you're helping others with your interns and your, you know, the training and all of that. I, I, that's uh, just really uh, exciting to me. Oh, thank you. And it, it really would not be possible um, without the support and encouragement from my team. I joined a, a team uh, back in in uh, uh 2021 uh, that has been amazing um, to be able to allow me to globally uh, head up a a forensics practice or building a state-of-the-art digital forensics lab in the next uh, two months. We should be fully operational. We're we're in a construction stage right now in the heart of Midtown, um, right right by uh, the Penn Station area. And really, it's, it's come down to the support of, of my leadership, uh, being in a leadership position as well, but my leadership uh, being fully on board and actually contributing back to the university in celebration of all the good things that are happening there with uh, the articles and the um, all the, the great collaboration that's going on. And uh, that's really what makes that happen, is my giving of my time, but also having the support and encouragement to say, that's great, let's do that. That's that's phenomenal. I guess sleeping is not a priority in your life, huh? <laughs> uh, well, I just got a uh, a puppy, and uh, oh, so she's great. about ten ten to twelve weeks. So she keeps uh, me up <laughs> at night. But I have two uh, two toddlers, three and six, and and uh, you know, I think Doctor Lee told me uh, at one point when I was in uh, courses with him, he said you can do a lot in your day. It's all how much you want to put into it, and. Um, I, I can't tell you somebody who has, you know, obviously took a, a more. Um, uh, he, he has not slowed down at all, but you know, he he's definitely uh, very specific with what he does now. And and uh, we wrote this article together for PI Magazine. And uh, what's amazing about it is he and I were online and sending emails to each other at like three, four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, on the weekends. And uh, he says, you know, you're just as as uh, into this as me, you know. Um, yeah. And that's the true thing is it's a passion. You know, this is when I first met my my uh, wife who, who, when we first started dating, and she said, "What do you do for a living?" I said, "I solve puzzles." So <laughs> my 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 uh, head is constantly spinning, and and I've got you know, multiple investigations going on at once, and a lot of projects, but. This is uh, a lifelong commitment, you know, in this field, right? Uh, you as a PI as well, we, we all kind of do this um, 
knowing that uh, we're trying to give back and, and do good things for our clients. And uh, it's just such a rewarding field. I, I was just speaking to a colleague, a former colleague of mine yesterday, saying how lucky uh, we have been to be so fortunate and blessed to have uh, been able to be in this field long enough and be able to be thought leaders and people who um, really show the next generation that this has been a phenomenal job. It's, it's not easy at times, right? There's a lot of personal sacrifices. For sure. Um, you know, there's working on weekends, there's late nights, but I couldn't have thought of a more rewarding career um, to go into that's personally satisfying. And, you know, when you get to that point where you feel comfortable and confident walking into any situation and being that calming voice, not today with my cold, but just a calming <laughs> voice to people, um, showing confidence and clarity uh, to help support their needs and their project, um, it, it goes uh, miles for our clients. And I might point out, I mean, you've mentioned PI Magazine, but uh, Rob is the uh, head of the cyber sleuthing department at PI Magazine, and so he shares topics um, every, just about every issue, right, Rob? Yeah, every issue. And it's one of these situations that, you know, it's informative articles. It's, um, it's content that matters to, to not only investigators, but forensic practitioners. And I've always learned uh, through teaching, um, you know, law enforcement at all levels to make it easy to understand. Um, people are always going to want to look at these technical um, uh, pieces of information and see how that could be applied to their investigation, to their situation. But the main thing is, is you don't need to be an expert. You need to be aware. And then the bottom line is you need to know who to call and what to expect. And that's what I teach, not only in my articles, but also in my book. I give people the information that they need to know that's not overwhelming, that's, like my colleague said, is simpleton for somebody to pick up know what to do and and be aware that you know the, these are the new technologies that are out there and I, I make a commitment to PI magazine with some tremendous writers I mean, we just have such tremendous writers on the staff that it's really an honor to be part of that um, and I also write for Nally I also write for some uh, other e-discovery forensics um, uh, publications but you know, once you get started with this, it, it's almost like you can't stop because uh, everybody, you know, can learn something. And, and if I have the ability to teach it uh, and have the time and, and the encouragement to do it and the support, it's something that uh, I take take uh, very seriously and I'm committed to. Well, you uh, mentioned Nally uh, just for people that aren't private investigators that may be listening, NALI is the National Association of Legal Investigators, and they have a great um, magazine called The Legal Investigator um, that you've had articles in. So that's an, a great organization as well. Yeah, so, and, and uh, I just started writing um, for, uh, I, I wrote my first article for NALI last year, and it was on how to basically talk in a, non-technical way and, and use, you know, um, sort of analogies and things like that. And actually won the editor's award for 2021. So, uh, that was, you know, um, one of my, my first articles with them and I look forward to contributing there as well. But 
you know, it's having the platform and being in a in an environment and an industry um, that's so supportive and gives you the ability to have a voice and share your knowledge with people. And, um, you know, having taught law enforcement previously and now joining the ranks of the PI uh, industry, it's just so... Um, so refreshing to see people who want to help each other. We all have special um, skills and, and things that we get involved in, but you know, it's having that ability to network and call upon the people that are really willing to uh, not only help out, but are all involved in the organization for the same reason, for the networking, for the knowledge sharing, for being able to have vetted PIs that you can call upon and trust when, you know, the most sensitive of situations may come up. Absolutely true. And, you, and you're, I see you're, you're really involved in a lot of trade associations. Nally is probably one of the most professional, I would suspect, of the ones you belong to. Be, are, I don't know anything about the forensic ones, but certainly the trade associations within the PI area. Yeah, and, you know, it's, there's, uh, you can never... Um, have a shortage of a number of associations that you can belong to um, just because they all offer a very uh, unique forum. Um, you know, Nally for sure is, is focused in on people who work very closely with law firms and legal uh, professionals and, you know, just the vetting process and the interviews and, and the recommendations that you're, you need to go through and proving your, your license. I mean, when you know you get involved in organizations that really fully vet their members, it's just a terrific feeling when uh, you get on those listservs, and that's a lifeline. I've used that several times already uh, to find out information and um, try to move forward with cases that, you know, I realize that we all don't know everything, and to have a, a lifeline and a listserv, and many of my forensic organizations also have listservs. It's just email communication or a forum that you can participate in, but they're invaluable. And the cost of these memberships are really a drop in the bucket when you have access, you know, in a moment's notice to thousands of people uh, that may be able to support you no matter where you are in the world. Absolutely. And, you know, Rob, you have, I'm looking at your list of certifications here. <laughs> you, you are certified in just about everything that you can be certified in, it looks like. Um, but I'm really interested in uh, the whole thing about uh, Bitcoin and uh, cryptocurrency. Sure. What, do you, what do you do forensically with those kinds of things? So with uh, Bitcoin and, and crypto and, and other types of forms of, of currency, digital currency that's now coming up, these are coming up in a lot of cases. Uh, number one, people are obviously victimized by ransomware attacks, which we all hear about. Um, number two, it's also um, you know asset disclosure and understanding where, where finances may be out there. Um, and, you know, if you think about all the different services that are now out there and at people's fingertips between the uh, Robin Hoods and the, the Coinbase and, and uh, all these other services that are out there, people are using this more and more. And I, I wrote my most recent article on, um, on cryptocurrency for PI Magazine because... So, Rob, you know, you excuse can, me a second. Yeah. 
I'm sorry. Excuse me a second, Rob. Before we, that's, I want to go into that. But before we do that, let's sure. take a quick break. We need to give uh, our sponsors a little, uh, absolutely, little time. All right. Thank you. The internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Today, my guest is Rob Freed. He's a licensed investigator in New York as well as Michigan, and he's also a forensic expert, digital forensic expert. We were just starting to talk about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. So, uh, it's, as I said to Rob on the break, this is way over my pay grade. So, uh, Rob, take it from there. Yeah, one day you may get paid in cryptocurrency, Francie. So, I mean, that's the way of the future. Um, I was saying before that uh, many companies now allow you to, to pay for many services with crypto. And, you know, th- this is a situation where it's not as regulated as our, our standard uh, financial systems. So there's a lot of new things that are being learned pretty regularly, although the, you know, the idea and the you know, crypto has been around for a while uh, it's just gaining a little bit more popularity and, and common attraction now that it's becoming more available uh, to the everyday people. And the challenge with it is it's a very volatile market, right? So um, a lot of people are investing, and in, in depending on how the market goes and the demand, 
Um, that can obviously fluctuate the value of, of crypto. Um, and there's also these uh, additional coins beyond Bitcoin, um, like Dogecoin and others that you may have constantly heard about in the news that are you know, other categories of, of uh, coins. And when you're talking about Bitcoin being worth, you know, 40, 50, 60,000, um, and, you know, other coins are being worth, uh, you know, not even a penny, you know, uh, think about the risk uh, versus reward there as the, the demand fluctuates. But, you know, I think what it comes down to from a digital forensics perspective is, how people are using these services and how, you know, uh, our side of the, um, the equation of the digital forensics artifacts work in conjunction with two other important factors, which are the forensic accountants and also the, the, the PIs that get involved, right? So from a forensic accounting perspective, they're going to be able to help really trace back the assets. And there are a number of different organizations that have come about, um, you know, that such as uh, Chainalysis and uh, others that, you know, uh, have solutions now to help trace back activity and, and assess risks based on different um, sources of the funds and different exchanges that exist and just giving people a little bit more context based on all their experience. And so, um, you know, my, my organization, my firm, Sandline, is uh, very interested in this space as well. And so we've invested, you know, in, in understanding um, a little bit more about crypto and, and how we can get involved in, in projects and, and matters. And uh, I've, I've gotten certified in a number of different um, ways from different organizations in not only the understanding of crypto, but also um, how it can be used to help trace back funds. And, you know, my, my focus would be on the, the forensics artifacts. I would definitely partner with somebody on the financial side of it with forensic accounting, but also there's the PIs, right? You have individuals that are now, you know, potentially having to get um, use surveillance techniques to see people doing exchanges with uh, crypto ATMs that are now popping up pretty regularly across the United States and elsewhere, um, and then also trying to obtain records uh, from these different exchanges and what information is available. It's truly a fascinating but developing, evolving type of industry. And like I said, as people get more invested in it and it becomes a, a volatile investment for people uh, and people are potentially you know, um, becoming a victim in some way, shape, or form of uh, identity theft and other ways that crypto gets involved with the dark web. It's just uh, normal for people to reach out and try to see what's out there. Um, you know, we see uh, things like uh, cryptocurrency wallets that are out there and understanding, you know, the different types of applications and software both on your computer and your mobile devices that are used, you know, where people may be storing passwords. And so I speak a lot about just knowing what's out there and uh, what you may be able to come across. But more importantly, like I've, I've said before, it's knowing who to call and knowing that collectively these different experts can become that trusted team and trusted advisor for clients. So 
So if I, somebody's going to pay me in crypto, how does that work? How do I get the get the crypto? Well, crypto is available for from currency uh, exchanges, so you can use accounts like, for example, uh, Coinbase, which basically takes your your dollar that you want to convert and allows you to buy other crypto, and so that you have now the ability to convert your funds over, and you know these exchanges are supposed to have uh, the ability to take some some basic information about you. So that it's a you know know your client know your customer um, K, KYC it's called and so there's some level of, of kind of you know um, being able to identify um, on the exchange level the people but you have very uh, wide range of access now through exchanges that are now out there uh, some some places you know allow you, some retailers allow you to use crypto. I think um, Overstock.com is a good example where they, they allow crypto for, for their transactions and other types of websites that people feel like, uh, you know, it's synonymous. They, uh, they can engage in cryptocurrency transfers uh, and everything is kept on a ledger. Um, so there's different transactions based on the cryptocurrency on ledgers. And it's just a way that uh, people feel comfortable now doing transactions. It's it's fascinating. It really is fascinating. So when you are doing a forensic analysis, um, like any forensic analysis, you're follow you're following that trail, starting from where your client is, evidently, back and tracking it back to the origination point. Correct. Uh, correct, and that's one of the things that Dr. Lee and I spoke about in our in our article together uh, is applying the the forensic principles that we've spoken about for years and years and years on all different types of you know trace evidence, physical evidence. Now applying it to electronic evidence, right? It's tracing that back, reconstructing the events, uh, applying documentation, and all those things that are really important. Um, as practitioners that we need to be aware of um, and make sure that we follow that same standard. So although the technology is always going to evolve, we call it the evolving landscape, you know, that we always have those disciplines to refer back to. And no matter what the situation is, I always apply that in my day-to-day. You know, what's the foundation here? Foundation is to document and do it in a defensible manner that allows me to bring this into court if questioned. And I may not have an answer uh, on each one, or there may not be a solution, but I'm able to use my background and experience to write up and document my process so that if another examiner were to do the same process, they would get similar results, um, and we would all kind of be able to talk the same language. Uh, it's it's just um, <laughs> for for my non scientific mind. This is mind boggling. But uh, <laughs> uh, again, your certifications. You have a uh, uh, certification in computer hacking forensics, and that's another area. Fraudsters are very creative, aren't they? Yeah, uh, I think you know as we're starting to see with the pandemic and. Um, a lot of what's going on in the world, you know, um, there's just a lot of 
interesting things in the last couple of years that we've all had to deal with, uh, with COVID and, and availability of things. And uh, yeah, it, it's constantly changing. It keeps you on your toes. I can't stress enough the need to um, really take an active role in a lot of the associations that, that are out there. Um, c- continue with your knowledge you know, um, not to plug my own book too much, but, you know, I, I wrote a book that really um, closes a lot of gaps in an industry where when a lot of people are studying how to do this stuff, they're not looking at it from every aspect. Like I, you know, I didn't come from a law enforcement background per se, but I'm dealing with some of the largest corporations and law firms in the world. And to bring them comfort when I'm walking into their environment, you know, somebody giving me the keys to their kingdom of, you know, here's here's our IT system. What do you need from me? Or, you know, the biggest law firms coming to us and trusting, you know, the ability for me to, to be able to successfully perform what they need is a very big um, responsibility. And so, you know, we have to take it very seriously and leverage uh, our experience to be able to think on our feet, uh, but also give information to people so that they understand all levels of the process um, and all aspects of the process. And I bring up COVID because now a lot of things are BYOD. Um, I heard somebody call it bring your own um, disaster recently, but it's bring your own device. <laughs> um, it's impacting a lot of corporations now because they're allowing other people to bring in or people to bring in things that may not be the standard build, <clears throat> but all these policies and, and things like that are impacting the world that we live in right now. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's uh, it's an interesting time, for sure. What do you, Rob, what do you advise people that might be interested in getting into the field you're in? Yeah, there are a lot of great programs and there are a lot of great um, resources to uh, take a look at. You know, I um, I personally, I know that there are shows like Forensic Files and CSI. I personally, I, I like the ID and the Discovery Channel, but I can't watch those shows because then I start thinking about different approaches and you can't change what's already been <laughs> recorded. So... Um, but look, there's a lot of resources. There's a lot more resources now than when I was available, I would, than I was when I was in school that were available to me. Um, but really, reach out to people that are doing this out in the field. You know, such an amazing network that we have is LinkedIn, and there are people on there that, you know, depending on how frequently they check it, would you know be available to potentially. Uh, talk or, you know, be able to network or reach out to some of these organizations that, you know, <clears throat> that we spoke about. That's, uh, you're losing your voice. I can tell. Sorry about yeah, that. So, no, absolutely. But I think those, um, <clears throat> those associations are, are very valuable. Do you, um, yes, you absolutely. I totally agree with you. Um, and I would say that uh, you would, you, you sound like a, such a great mentor. How would people reach you if they wanted to hire your firm or ask you some questions? Sure. So my firm's uh, uh, website is Sandline Global, 
dot com. So S A N D L I N E G L O B A L dot com. Um, okay. You can personally reach out to me at R Freed R F R I E D at SandlineGlobal dot com, or you can also reach me by via telephone at three four seven three zero six eight six one eight. And uh, more than happy to talk to aspiring investigators, forensic practitioners, talk about some of the services, talk about some of the methodologies that are now having to take place due to, you know, the differences now with COVID, um, how that's impacted our ability to, um, you know, do certain things and uh, how we've had to really uh, shift gears a little bit um, over the course of the last two years. And that's what's really fascinating about the field is that when I started, you know, many, many years ago in the field, um, you know, a lot of the work was on site. It was, you know, meeting people, the CEOs. I, I never will forget. I met a CEO one time and, you know, um, he, he says, I'm the chief entertainment officer around here. And, uh, that broke the ice a little bit. Um, because, you know, you're walking into an environment, uh, Francie, a lot of times in our work that we do, right. That's, that somebody has got a problem. It's not like we're going there to, on. Um, you know, uh, this is a, you know, a joyful thing for a lot of people. It's litigation, it's investigations, it's something happened there. And you have to bring a level of comfort and uh, confidence. And, and so when somebody breaks the ice a little bit, it uh, it helps and allows you to build rapport. But it's really how you communicate with those people. And that's something that over the course of the last 20 years, I've really learned how to do um, to be able to make people understand uh, that I, you know, I want to get what I need done, um, done for them and do it in the best way possible to not disrupt their business and to, you know, not make it so inconvenient for them. Do you have, Rob, uh, one success story that you could talk about? We, we yeah, have a few um, minutes left, so I'm just curious if you have one. Yeah, well, there's so many different cases I get involved in. I've done second requests where two organizations um, try to merge, and they, you know, we have to look at all their systems, and the government gets involved, and and we, you know, we do that in a very short period of time. So I've had success with helping companies, you know, successfully prove to the government the data that's around, and uh, in a very short period of time, collecting hundreds of devices. I've also helped cases where, you know, you are uh, being asked to see if people took any information um, with them from one job and went over to another. And there was one case I remembered where, you know, we were only given uh, access to, um, you know, somebody's computer, and we were not given access to their their phone. And um, one of these Cases is, you know, how you can have an iPhone and then you have an iPad and then you have a, a Mac computer. You have the ability to use iMessage um, all the time uh, between those devices. And so what you may write on your phone may sync up to your computer. And that was right. one of the, the cases where, you know, our data exists so many places right now. That's the complexity that we live in. I, I just bought a... Um, a washing and drying machine in my house that is on the internet. My wife is getting <laughs> notifications when 
when the dryer finishes. And at the end of the week, I get the notifications. I said, you really ran the dryer 25 times this week. Um, so our data is really out there everywhere. And yeah. the way that we have to look for data is different. And the way that we need to address these data sources are different. And it's not necessarily the most easy thing. Our investigations have become a lot more complex. But, you know, those are situations where I was able to show that somebody was communicating, you know, uh, on their computer, you know, uh, or their computer held the information that they were communicating elsewhere on. And uh, I was able to, you know, show there that, you know, there was some intent to take things they were discussing about what type of media that they were going to be buying and how is this possible to move files around and what do I need to do and, and you know, that that's showing you that you don't need to have all the pieces um, of, in terms of device usage uh, that are out there to really, you know, solve that case. It could be that people just aren't aware uh, of where all their data resides and then being able to kind of put that all together and have that really rewarding um, feeling of showing that, you know, we're able to retrieve it. There's a lot of cases right now with social media that are very rewarding, helping, you know, bring some justice to people that may have had data um, that's out on the uh, social media and, you know, helping them kind of um, collect their information and, and find out information about things like cyberbullying and things like that. So we get involved in a lot of different cases at Samwide, and, um, you know, I make... Uh, you know, good decisions on, on what type of cases to um, to take on. You know, there's cases that we get in from our standard clients. There's pro bono cases. There's corporate cases, uh, law firm, you know, initiated cases. And it comes from every angle. But it's really a pleasure to be able to provide the service and to pro- provide the expertise and the consultative, um, you know, uh, understanding of, what may need to be done and, and really educate all parties involved so that, you know, these things, although they're sensitive and they're unfortunately uncomfortable, you know, we try to make it as comfortable as possible for everybody involved. You know, you were mentioning uh, earlier about bring your own device. I can see how that could be problematic because if you're working, you're an employee at a company and you can use your own cell phone, say, for instance, you're working remotely and you can use your own cell phone. If there was a problem, I have the right not to provide my cell phone because it's mine, right? Yeah, I had one situation where at the start of the pandemic, you know, we did some remote collections and uh, this was a video conference. And, uh, yeah, there's some corporate data on a personal device, Um and I'll never forget it because we were all sitting on the phone uh, on video watching. Everybody likes to do video camera now. And uh, we were ready to kick off a cell phone collection. The person said, oh, I need to take a, a couple minutes break to go take care of something. Came back uh, and during that time spoke to her personal lawyer and said, I'm not giving you my phone. We'll have to talk again sometime soon. Yeah, I can I can see that happening. I mean, Privacy is such a major issue for a lot of folks. I can see that happening over and over. Well, how many devices do you think I carry, uh, Francie, for that reason? I have no idea. <laughs> how many? 
I have two devices, one for, you know, the, the, the stuff on my personal side and then on the corporate side. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that commingling of information is, is um, difficult, especially when you have a lot of email accounts and you have text messages. And, you know, it's good to, to consider that separation. Um, there are some perks and stipends that you get from your, you know, uh, employers at times. Uh, I wrote an article about this also in PI called B, uh, BYOD. Um, but yeah, this is, this is a very common practice now. There's typically some stipend that's given, but I personally like to, especially being on the investigator side to have a little bit of a separation because, you know, with some of the calls that we get and some of the individuals that we are working with, um, it's always good to be separate and, uh, have that separate from your personal device. You know, and, and if you, even if you did that, I can see how, uh, somehow somebody gets your personal cell phone and they start contacting you on that. And even though you're using a, a company cell phone or a separate cell phone for business, I, and there's that crossover. I, it's, you know, there's so much going on with forensics that you can do from that as well as uh, people just get lazy and they just yeah. do whatever they need to do to get through the day. Exactly. And that's the whole thing is that you have to be disciplined. You have to be aware. Um, it's all about being aware and um, knowing that anything that you put in an email, anything that you say, um, anything that's recorded is always discoverable. Um, make sure you, you set those those um, ways to contact each other and, and the formal ways to communicate from the get-go. Uh, make yeah. sure the right people are on email threads. Make sure, you know, if somebody does accidentally send you something to a personal email account, uh, alert them right away. Hey, please uh, know that you sent this to me. Um, you know, that that's the right thing to do. Take immediate action and do the best to separate both your, your personal, you know, uh, life activities and data uh, from your business because commingling of data, and I've seen it time and time again, yeah. you've got to go into somebody's Dropbox account and they've got work here and it's not <laughs> foldered. Um, it becomes very challenging and very expensive to try to sift that out and sort that out. For sure. Well, Rob, we are the end of our hour. Thank you so much. This has been so instructive. I've so much appreciated talking to you and I uh, appreciate you being on the show. Absolutely. And- Thank you so much for having me. And, uh, you know, I've got a cold, but I think we powered through it. And I'm uh, <laughs> very did. happy to take the uh, opportunity to do this with you today. And look forward to staying connected. Sounds good. And for the rest of you, it's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.